the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Hello there. Welcome. Good to have you with us. Good to be with you. Good to be seen. Good to be heard. And uh, great to have another uh, chance to visit with you here on this Tuesday, April 9th edition of Lifeline. Got a pretty full agenda for you today, so uh, let's not waste any time in small talk and get right down to cases. It wasn't that long ago when, as a young person growing up, of course some of this is generational, if you go back 50, 60 years ago, um, girls grew up to be housewives, right? The men went out and brought home the bacon. Much of that gleefully has changed. Uh, But so too has sort of the trajectory in the sense that career-wise or how you brought home that bacon could vary anywhere from those who went into a family business, followed in father's footsteps. If the family owned a bakery, you took over the bakery. If uh, dad worked for the local steel mill, you followed dad and went to work for the local steel mill. Maybe you went to a trade school handful would be fortunate enough to go to college, and the really fortunate went to university to go on to a two- or four-year experience and then go into the working world. Today, though, it seems as if there's a singular mantra that once you graduate high school, if you're going to be any kind of success at anything in life, you have to go to college, young lady, young man. And the more subliminal message behind that is, and encumber yourself to indentured servitude for the next who knows how many decades in student loans. Currently, there are more than 43 million Americans who have a student loan average of $30,000. Two million owe more than $100,000. And one of the Biggest beneficiaries of that enterprise of student loans is the U.S. government. Let's talk a bit about education. A lot to discuss today as we're joined by author and syndicated talk show host Bob Zadek. Bob is the host of the Bob Zadek program, heard locally here in the San Francisco Bay Area on 860 AM, The Answer, every Sunday morning at 8 AM. Bob, by the way, has a new book out that we'll be discussing called The Bubble, How Higher Ed Became America's Most Overrated Product. And Bob, as always, a privilege to have you join us. Craig, the pleasure is all mine. Thanks thanks for inviting me. So what about this? Uh, You know, uh, a couple of generations ago, you had options. You followed dad's footsteps. You went into the family business. You went to a trade school. A lot of that seems to sort of largely disappeared. And the mantra is go to college, go to university, and go to debt (laughs) in the process. Craig, it didn't disappear. It's still still there. It's just students or prospective students 
pick the option of going to college without considering the alternatives. It's kind of an automatic absence of a decision. And, and of course, to a great degree, that's been sort of pounded into our heads. If you don't want to be a loser, you have to get an education. And, and I want to be clear, neither of us are suggesting that there's not value to an education. In fact, lifelong, lifelong learning ought to be the goal of all of us. But I have to really wonder, in, in, number one, the wisdom of getting so deeply in debt. And then when there's been talk, for example, by the current administration who says, oh, we want to do things that's going to cap student loans and reduce student debt debt and so on and so forth, and, and even engage into a certain degree of, of debt forgiveness. I have to wonder, how true does that necessarily ring, given the fact that the biggest purveyor of student loans in the United States is, in fact, the United States? And, and according to um, a recent Congressional Budget Office report, student loan profits for Washington, D.C., total over $110 billion in one year alone. That's a lot of money. Greg, I have two comments on what you just said. First of all, you said there's a value in education. I agree there's a value, but is it worth what you pay for it? If your, your statement is simply it's worth more than zero, I'll concede that point. But the question is, is it overpriced? Is it worth what students pay? For there, I really we can have a conversation. Uh, and second of all, the government doesn't make a profit. The statement that the government makes a profit is because the government keeps funny bookkeeping. They keep their books on what's known as a cash basis, basically money in, money out. They don't keep track of how much of the loans they made today might default in the future. And when those defaults occur, that loss will happen in future years. So right now, in current times, the money is flowing out, the interest is being earned and being paid, but there is this huge debt bomb being built that's going to explode, and all of a sudden, the profit you refer to is going to be a profound loss, and some future Congress and future president is going to have to deal with it. All right, let's talk about that aspect of the mess. You're right, the government, <laughs> frankly, as we've discussed many times on this program, and, and you do it weekly on your show, the government tends to oftentimes engage in the, the fuzzy math or the questionable bookkeeping. But the reality is there's $1.5 trillion in student loans sitting out there, and the government holds about a trillion dollars of that paper. So if... When this explodes, it's not only going to have a deleterious impact on uh, the average student out there, but uh, ultimately the U.S. Treasury. Well, it remains to be seen how much of a loss will actually be taken, having referred to the loss in my earlier comments. Because remember, student loan debt is quite a special kind of obligation. Most other debts... If you can't afford to pay your debts, you have the lawful option in the United States of filing for bankruptcy and getting a discharge of all of your debts. They just go away, and you get the second start, which is part of our American ethos. However, student loan debt doesn't get discharged except under special circumstances. So if you have an individual who owes a lot of debt to credit card companies and a lot of student loan debt when they file for bankruptcy, the, st 
the credit card debt goes away. No problem. It's automatic. The student loan debt stays and remains. So whether or not the problem will ultimately, the problem will ultimately reside with the government because they take a write-off, or the students are doomed to a lifetime of purgatory, paying off a debt they can't get rid of, that remains to be seen. That hasn't played out yet. I have to wonder, though, in, in the bigger picture here, Robert, have we sort of backed ourselves into a, a crisis of our own invention? And I ask that question because there's been an interesting shift here uh, and I wonder whether you see a correlation between the government getting deeper and deeper and deeper into the so-called student loan business and coinciding with that seems to be higher and higher and higher rates when it comes to education. I mean, for example, UC Berkeley that not that many years ago, on average, cost a student about eleven, twelve thousand dollars a year. That number now, most recently, was at forty-one thousand nine hundred and ten dollars for one year at UC Berkeley. I wonder if the the corresponding uptick in the out-of-control inflation within education in America has something to do with the notion that people say, gee, the government's giving away or loaning all this money out. Let's take advantage of it. Is there a correlation in your opinion? Craig, you nailed it in what you just said. You just plain nailed it. The two segments of our economy that behave, that have price inflation that far exceeds the consumer price index, the two segments are higher education and health care. What do those two segments of our economy have in common? In both segments, the customer the patient or the student, as the case may be, in both cases, neither the patient nor the student have any idea what something costs. They just say, give it to me. Students, when they go to school, the tuition is totally invisible. It's like a theoretical number because they're not paying a dime of it right away. And it's very easy, especially when you're younger, to hock the future because you want to go to college. But I dare say no family, no student has made a cost-benefit calculation. Is this worth the money? Yes, it's a good idea, but will I get back a return on this investment? Because education is an investment. People devote a lot of time. They do their best to buy stocks and annuities and other financial products. They don't always succeed, but they sure do try. Nobody tries to calculate the value of what they are getting. And when you don't pay attention to the value, when you have no price sensitivity, you'll pay whatever you want. And the seller, healthcare providers or universities, are perfectly happy to take advantage of that because they know their customers don't know and don't care about the price. And the fault lies with the customers. I have no sympathy for students with student loan debt any more than I would with a student who bought a very expensive car with a whole lot of debt. If they make a bad decision, then it's on them and we are not here to pick up the pieces for those bad decisions. 
Yeah, sadly, though, on an ever-increasing basis, and you're right, I mean, student debt is one of those that you can't easily discharge through bankruptcy or by other means. The government has a tendency to, to come and find you. Uh, but, but that said, there is a disconnect, a fundamental disconnect to, to uh, in, input versus output value. I mean, how many people do you know that are running around out there with uh, degrees and fancy titles um, on a $125,000 student debt indebtedness, and they're working a $22,000? a year job at Starbucks. And, and you're right, the correlation between the, the, the debt to value is oftentimes a fundamental disconnect. And I think the, the example here that Bob has shared of credit card use, I mean, how many people just go out and charge, charge, charge? Unless you're paying attention to that monthly statement, it, it, it just seems to be, uh, you know, imaginary numbers that are meaningless until you read the monthly statement or start paying off the minimum every month and realize it takes you 50 years to get the whole thing paid off. And the refrigerator that you bought on sale for $700 has now cost you $2,500. <laughs> Such a deal. Let's pause for a moment. We're going to come back to more of our conversation. Syndicated talk show host and best-selling author Bob Zadek is with us today. He is the host of The Bob Zadek Show. It's heard every Sunday morning at 8 a.m. here in the San Francisco Bay Area on our sister station, 860 AM KTRB, The Answer. Bob has a new book out that raises many serious questions about our entire approach to education called The Bubble, How Higher Ed Became America's Most Overrated Product. When we come back, we'll continue to dive through not just the financial aspects of it, but a recent executive order by the president, got a lot of attention when he first announced that he was going to sign this, uh, that, that wishes now to withhold public dollars from, in many cases, private universities with sort of a carrot and a stick approach related to free speech. Talk about troubling. Let's get to a look at traffic, then we'll get back to more of our conversation with Bob Zadek. Right now, we've got the latest to the KFAX Traffic Center. Michael Bennett. Michael, what's going on out there? And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Best-selling author and syndicated talk show host Bob Zadek joins us. Bob's program, The Bob Zadek Show, comes your way every Sunday morning at 8 a.m. Heard locally here in the San Francisco Bay Area on 860 a.m. KTRB, The Answer. Bob's got a new book out. It's called The Bubble, How Higher Ed Became America's Most Overrated Product. Bob, one of the things that strikes me as problematic here, and it seems to be sort of reminiscent of uh, the loan crisis, the housing loan crisis of of the 2000s, um, there is largely no limit to the amount of indebtedness that you can get to student loans. In fact, uh, with that in mind, it's almost the equivalent of saying, hey, we'll loan you any amount you want for any house that you'd like to buy (laughs) without regard to your capacity to pay it back. Well, we know how disastrous that was in 2008. Um, Can we perhaps draw a line between that and what we see going on here today? You talked before the break about the the loan-to-value, so to speak, of, of education. Are we essentially setting ourselves up for a big educational economic bubble burst here? 
I don't think so, Greg. Um, and if there is the difference in the in the housing crisis was uh, one can sort of sort of make an excuse for many of the home buyers because they incurred the debt in the what appeared to be reasonable expectation that their house would continue to increase in value. That was the state of mind of most homeowners, and therefore they weren't incurring too much debt. They would just refinance and refinance and refinance. So it was an existential factor that housing prices stopped going up and started to go down, and the mortgages became underwater. It was somewhat existential outside of the family. With student loan debt, it's not a question that the edu- the value of a college degree went down surprisingly. It never was high, and nobody nobody thought about what the value was. At least with a homeowner, there was a sale, the sale of a house, presumably at the then market value. So a consumer knew at the time somewhat they were buying something at market value. Students today are not buying college education at market value. There is no market value because there is no buyer who is shopping. The buyer doesn't care. So there are some parallels, but economically not a lot. And also uh, to bail out students, because Trump is talking about forgiveness of student debt, And my goodness, am I opposed to that. And Craig, when I thought about the forgiveness that Donald Trump is considering, I asked myself, as I often do, a hypothetical to test the theory of forgiving student loan debt. What if an 18-year-old didn't spend, didn't borrow $100,000 to go to college, but bought stocks, common stocks, with borrowed money? Now, that student thought the stock was going to go up in value, and thought they were going to make money, or didn't think about it, just was dumb. Should that student who bought stock on margin and the stock went down and they are stuck with the debt and not the stock, that student to me, in my hypothetical, is just as worthy of a bailout as the college student, or putting the reverse, neither is worthy one tiny bit of a bailout. They made a conscious decision, or their parents did, and whatever happened to being stuck with your own bad decisions without society patting you on the forehead, bailing you out so you can go and make another bad decision? It just, it it offends me, and it's a profound moral hazard in society. Well, and moreover, it's essentially passing the buck. It's suggesting that you can go make a decision, get yourself deeply into debt, and then decide later on, you know what, that wasn't such a good idea, and just pass the buck, literally, to somebody else and leave ultimately the taxpayer on the hook here. And while I have to question... The degree to which the federal government would even want to engage in student loan forgiveness based on the fact that it benefits nicely from the business, uh, it it would seem to suggest that if we're going to say that we're going to allow uh, student loan debt forgiveness, then where do we draw the line? Can somebody buy a house and then just decide, you know what, I I don't want to live here anymore and I'm not going to pay the the rent anymore or I'm making less money than I used to make, so I'm not going to make the mortgage payment? I mean, where does it stop? Uh, That's exactly the point. Uh, We have a society where the only way 
to encourage people to make the right decisions and keep the market functioning efficiently is to make people be bound by the good and the bad of their decisions. Just imagine, just imagine, Craig, uh, what would happen if students really had to pay the cost of a college education. Now, they wouldn't just ignore tuition. They would then shop around, and we would have, I'm getting watery-eyed at the thought, a true (laughs) marketplace for college education where colleges would compete on price for students. How wonderful that would be. And certainly would bring a serious dose of competitive reality into the arena of education that is sorely lacking right now. I mean, at this present, uh, any board of trustees or chancellor would say, hey, let's set the prices as high as we want because our customers will just go out and borrow more money to pay us the price tag we want. Uh, Most businesses wouldn't survive very long under those circumstances. Of course they would not. You're exactly right. Let's pivot to another topic that is slightly correlated. The the, the president here recently talking about free speech on university campuses or lack thereof. And I I always find it interesting when um, a conservative, for example, gets shouted down or shouted out of a place like UC Berkeley, where 40 years ago they prided themselves on being the center of free speech. And now they've moved from free speech to speech-free zones, (laughs) I suppose. But the president suggested sort of a, um, a carrot and stick approach, saying that, well, if they're not going to, if the campuses are not going to, if the administrations are not going to assure or protect the free speech rights of all people, that they're going to then potentially withdraw research dollars. And, and part of me says, well, I'm glad to hear somebody standing up for that. Part of me says, is it really the function of government funding to be working toward protecting a constitutional right? Well, uh, it's interesting you say that because the decision, oh, if it is a decision, it's only in the discussion stage, of Donald Trump to use the executive order system, that is, the power a president has in and of himself to do things without the consent of Congress, without a law. That's executive order. The power is scary because the more power the executive has, the more the executive, the president, behaves like a monarch. And the fault is with Congress. Congress was delighted to delegate all kinds of power to the executive branch, whether it's the administrative agencies or the president himself, because that way Congress doesn't get to do unpleasant things. They don't get to do things that are controversial, and somebody else gets the heat, and Congress can sit on the sidelines. So they have ceded all kinds of their constitutional responsibilities to the president in order just to protect their re-election possibilities. So on the one hand, it's the president exercising executive power, which I wince over because the executive has too much power. On the other hand, I support the goals of free speech. The constitutional right that students have is kind of misunderstood, Craig, because the First Amendment, which guarantees uh, free free speech uh, all over the country, it guarantees free speech as against 
government interference. You don't have, if you're going to a private college, nothing in the Constitution gives you the right to have free speech any more than if you come into my house you have free speech i can ask you to leave because the constant the first amendment doesn't control private actors so students in public colleges state schools community colleges have constitutionally protected free speech rights but what about the rest and it's the rest that needs to be prodded a bit, and that's what the president probably is thinking about doing, to bring private colleges indirectly under the Constitution by supervising their free speech responsibilities. And, of course, I realize that this gets into a lot of gray areas. If, uh, for example, an associated student body uh, refused to allow somebody like uh, uh, Milo to come on campus and speak, is that different than the campus administration making a decision of that sort? I, I guess what I'm questioning here is the the government using the the financial stick, if you will, or carrot, uh, to guarantee free speech, if it's a question of, of the government uh, uh, getting involved in, in, in truncating free speech and the president saying, hey, we're going to do this as a means of punishing them because they're not protecting the constitutional right, that's one thing. But, but do they really have the power to use the dollar to make sure that another private individual, I mean, like you said, I, you come into my house, if you start saying things against Italians, I'm probably likely to, likely to throw you out. I don't care about your free speech, and I'm not the government, so uh, go ahead and sue me. So it, 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 is it, what is your thought, Robert, in terms of the government using that to coerce other private individuals to observe a, a, another party's free speech rights? Well, you said two things. Uh, They're not using money to coerce. Coerce kind of suggests force. The government does have the power, uh, presumably, if president doesn't have the power, Congress can prevent him from doing it. But if the president has the power, has discretionary funding authority, and if there are no limits on that discretion, the president certainly can use the purse, the money that he's given by Congress, to accomplish these goals. And to me, I don't feel threatened by that. I kind of like it because I so much support the goals. Uh, But now imagine if the president were using dollars to suppress speech. Imagine how angry we all would feel. So to some degree, Craig, your question, the answer depends upon what use the dollars are put. If it's put to what most people consider to be a public good, a public benefit, increasing free speech for everyone, it's hard to oppose it, even though it's an exercise of executive power. If it's used to suppress speech, obviously it's really easy to oppose. And, of course, at the end of the day, one of the big concerns here that's sort of ancillary to this conversation that I think you and I need to spend some time talking about, and that is this whole issue of division of powers and uh, the increased tendency by uh, recent administrations to exercise uh, so-called executive privilege 
Um, some say it's going too far. Others say, well, it wouldn't happen at all if Congress were doing its job. The truth, perhaps, is somewhere in between. But uh, that would be a good conversation for the future, and that is to, to, to sort of analyze where things stand today in 2019 with the division of powers amongst the branches and, and, and how far out of whack are things? Is the president doing too much and acting almost like a legislator when he's supposed to be the executive? And what about the whole argument of the um, the judicial branch acting in a legislative fashion as well? Some good conversation that we'll have to get into in a future visit with Bob Zadek. Now, if you want to visit with him every Sunday, we invite you to do so. Check out his website, bobzadek.com. You'll find all kinds of great resources there, information about past guests, podcasts, as well as his latest book, The Bubble, How Higher Ed Became America's Most Overrated Product. Available at bobzadek.com. That's B-O-B-Z-A-D-E-K.com. His program, The Bob Zadek Show, broadcast live every Sunday morning, 8 a.m. on 860 a.m. The Answer. And we invite you to uh, check that out. I'm sure you'll find it a, uh, a habit not easy to step away from. And that's good. Bob Zadek, we appreciate so much the time today, my friend. 537, let's get caught up on some traffic here right quick. We're a little bit late. If you're in traffic, you're maybe late, too. So let's see what's going on with Michael Bennett. Michael? And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. You know, we really have to have a conversation, Joel, with the folks over at Fox News to not steal our content. I just looked up at the screen here, and uh, they're talking about, is higher education scamming taxpayers? <laughs> good timing, guys. We beat you to it, though. All right. Let's, uh, let's share some good news. When we talk about constitutional challenges... Um, or challenges to our constitutionally protected rights. Uh, oftentimes, we, we have bad news about um, nefarious things going on here and there. Um, here's a case of something nefarious that almost went on, uh, but fortunately, the guys in the white hats rode into town and uh, helped derail this attempt by Planned Parenthood um, to uh, to do their teaching. I put that in air quotes. Their teaching. Um, at a, a school in Pacific Grove. Let's get the latest as we're joined by constitutional lawyer, the founder and president of the Pacific Justice Institute, Brad Dacus. And, uh, and Counselor, uh, you and I have talked about this before, some of the teaching that goes on uh, at the behest of Planned Parenthood uh, read, reads more like a, a, you know, the, the kind of locker room talk that, that, that boys, girls, maybe girls do it too, uh, that's more of the how-tos than the why-nots. And so give us a bit of a background here, if you would, in terms of what transpired. I understand that they just narrowly were going to show up and do some teaching in uh, Pacific Grove there at Monterey. Yeah, they, they sure would. We're going to do that. And, uh, and this is often the case in California more and more. Uh, school districts uh, are insensitive to the, uh, to the diversity of, of the many parents out there with a uh, different perspective of, of what's what's best for their children. Um, they go ahead and they bring in the likes of Planned Parenthood, 
probably the most controversial organization in the United States today. Uh, and they come in to teach uh, 7th and 8th graders uh, about uh, sex, sexuality, uh, sexual practices, and uh, even into gender identity, and things that are, are very sensitive issues for a, a lot of families and, uh, and parents, I'd say the majority. And the problem, though, Craig, is, is not just you know, the content that they're being brought in, that they, that they were having Planned Parenthood come in, but it's how they did it. They didn't give any notice, and law in California requires prior to sex ed that there be at least two weeks' notice to parents so they can review the material and then decide to opt out. That was completely overlooked, and we at Pacific Justice Institute, uh, fortunately, were contacted ahead of time to, before it was too late. Uh, so it was kind of um, narrow time-wise, but but you were successful in going in. And, and essentially what? You, you reminded the district that they had to give um, satisfactory notice to parents to allow parents to exercise their, um, their right to opt out, and that kind of derailed things. How did it ultimately go down? Yeah, well, we were you know, contacted by a concerned parent. We're, we're, we at Pacific Justice Institute are so grateful for parents who – make the call and let us know when they see things happening. So we did that. We have an office, you know, right there in the uh, South Bay area. Uh, the attorney contacted the uh, school district and uh, the, prin- the principal sent a demand letter and uh, making it very clear this is how you're violating the law. And, uh, and it's good that they decided to, to back down and cancel Planned Parenthood's presentation, at least for now, because uh, we were ready and willing to go into court and get a temporary restraining order uh, if we had to, to protect those kids and those families. And so if a parent becomes aware of something like this and, and kind of sits back on their heels, the kid brings home a note saying, you know, starting next week or this, that, and the other thing, a particular kind of curricula is going to be introduced that raises eyebrows, is the best bet, if they have questions, to reach out to the Pacific Justice Institute? Oh, absolutely, Craig. And we do all our work without charges. You know, we help hundreds and hundreds of parents and families and individuals and churches every year without charge. Uh, so I strongly encourage them to contact us, and they need to know their rights. You know, we have opt-out forms that every parent, I believe, should re- should download and use. They're, with, they're free. They're right from our website. And we strongly encourage parents to be preemptive on these issues and uh, fill out, check the boxes. They have to have to check boxes, sign it, and then send it to the, uh, to the school uh, principal, the school district, and uh, that puts them on legal notice uh, of, of what you want to opt out on. And it's very, very important, particularly in the state of California, where we have so much dangerously controversial material being uh, thrown out at our, our children at a very impressionable age. No doubt about that. So, great resource to have at your fingertips. It's a place you ought to um, have bookmarked, and we invite you to check it out, pacificjustice.org. That's pacificjustice.org. Our thanks to constitutional lawyer, the founder and president of the Pacific Justice Institute, Brad Dacus, for that update. All right, 545. Speaking of updates, we've got one for you right now from the KFAX Traffic Center. Michael Bennett, what's up?
Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.